Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Pubs, Pints, People. My name's Claire Phillips. I'm back on the show, joined by Matt Bundy and Ant Fierillo. Hello, both of you. Hello, hello, Claire. Hello, hello. So how's everyone doing? Mm, don't ask. <laughs> yeah, not good. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're just at the end of lockdown two, aren't we, at the, uh, at the time of recording. Also at the time of recording, we've just seen the tiers announced and the rules uh, for that. So it doesn't really look like there's any end in sight, really, does it? Do you know, at the moment, it, it doesn't, does it? And we've recently had some more announcements on this. So, yes, as Matt said, at time of recording, the government loves a good evening or weekend announcement, don't they, chaps? And it looks like, unfortunately, our pubs are still going to be hit hard from the 2nd of December with wet-led pubs unable to reopen in Tier 2 and 3 areas unless they provide, and I quote, a substantial meal. Yeah, I, I mean, a couple of my favourite pubs just really don't do food and they'll be in tier two and this is really going to hit them hard and in fact just uh, in the last couple of days I've heard from so many pubs on the radio and that sort of thing uh, including wet lead mainly wet lead pubs and camera award-winning pubs that for some this news really shows how, how bad it is it could possibly even be the end for some of them which is it's just awful yeah i'm not really sure what difference a pub meal makes to how the virus is going to act but you know i'm not going to get up on my soapbox about it but i mean for me a substantial meal is that two pork pies you know i don't <laughs> can i bring my own yeah you know, well, can, I, can I bring a four pack you know that's the <laughs> that's the thing to but i think surely the decision on whether to reopen a pub should be based on whether they've invested in sanitation and they're doing the social distancing properly, which we know so many of our pubs have put so much effort and money into doing to create a COVID-safe environment. And it shouldn't just be whether they happen to, by chance, serve food or not. Oh, well, do you know what, Matt? You've exactly taken the words right out of my mouth. I actually was speaking to a friend this week and he was telling me that he has some family over in Ireland and they did a very similar measure not too long ago where they said, you need to spend at least nine euros, I think it was, on food food in order to, to be able to have a drink in the pub and they said they just all ordered plates of chips and nobody ate them and by the end of the evening there was just this bin bag full of cooked uneaten chips because people just saw it as a levy rather than any sensical thing it's the wrong measure completely and I'm so distraught as you all know I really do love my Christmas pub visit and apparently household mixing over Christmas is going to be allowed in people's homes but not in Covid secure pubs which just doesn't seem very festive to me 
No, and sticking with the substantial meal thing. I mean, if you talk about, you know, popping into your pub for a quick pint after work or sitting down, getting the menu, ordering, having your starter, your main course, your pudding, if it is a substantial meal. I mean, I know we all have to be safe and take precautions and particularly over the Christmas season, but it does seem so strange holding pubs to a different standard over December than gyms or shops and even trusting people more in their own homes to mix safely than they could in a pub where you know they're going to have masks and social distancing and that sort of thing will be enforced. Yeah. Wouldn't it be funny if they said, well, you can only go to the gym if you do a substantial workout? <laughs> well, that'd be true. I, don't, I do often have a substantial meal at the gym. But, that, but that, that's just because uh, my, my wife can't follow me, so I can uh, pack into the scotch eggs, you know, as soon as I'm in the changing room. But, you know, I mean, bar humbug yeah, totally. is what I say to it yeah, all, totally. you know. Obviously, Camera is campaigning heavily on this, as you would imagine, fighting the good fight. Uh, and you can get involved by writing to your MP to ask them to provide greater support for pubs and breweries. To do that, you just need to visit camera.org.uk forward slash save our pubs. Indeed. Now, this week we have a pertinent subject matter to cover and we'll be looking at micro pubs to try and answer the question of whether they are a COVID victim or survivor. Well, we've seen many, many micropubs popping up over the last decade, starting with Martin Hillier from the Butcher's Arms in Kent, who holds the title of being the UK's first micropub and, in fact, was the one who really pushed the idea out into the wider camera and pub community at our 2008 AGM. We'll be hearing more from him later on. Well, you may be thinking, what exactly is a micropub? It's certainly what I was thinking. I'm thinking like little Doll's House style pub, you know, <laughs> maybe tiny thimbles of beer, you know. But, but no, we've all heard the term. It's a very small, modern, one-room pub. But more importantly than the building that it comes in, it's what it's doing. One thing well, sell cask-conditioned real ale. And the atmosphere is an important element too, with focus on community and conversation, which for me, that's what the pub's about, community and conversation. I'm running on the basic premise of, love this, you'll like this, Mr Bundy, KISS KISS. Now, I've heard numerous versions of the KISS acronym in my lifetime, but here it's all about keep it small, keep it simple, love it. Well, my imagination was running wild on what that acronym could be. (laughs) Well, when you get that sense of community, you know, kiss, kiss and (laughs) off. Not not under COVID, though, obviously, you know, only at... Air kisses at two metres. <laughs> it seems to have the same effect, does it? <laughs> not quite. Anyway, we've got the podcast absolutely jam-packed for you today with not only an interview with Martin, but also with Susanna Mansfield, who's landlady of the Station House in Durham, chatting with Sam from The Vessel in Plymouth, as well as a short piece from Rebecca Weaver about her motorhome tour of British pubs. So we're really spoiling you today. Oh, yeah. We are, aren't we? I tell you what, we better get started with the interviews then. So first up, uh, here is Susanna and Sam. I'm Susanna Mansfield. I'm the landlady of the Station House in Durham and Fran Ferment, just on the outskirts of Durham. Today I'm with Sam from The Vessel in Plymouth. We're going to have a chat about our respective businesses and in particular how we've been affected by the pandemic. So Sam, let's start by introducing our pubs as it were. I own Vessel Beer Shop, which is based in Plymouth in Devon. We've been going, it's myself and my wife Katie, we've been going since December 2016. We call it a beer shop, but it's a shop and a bar or was a bar, which we'll come on to, I'm sure. And yeah, we, we, we stock about 300 different beers in bottles and cans, and then we normally have six beers on tap as well. 
Brilliant. It sounds like a very similar model to our second project, which is the, the Sharp Fram Ferment, where we've also kind of set it up as an off-licence, but you can drink in as well. And we opened that last November, so it's just coming up to a year. And then the Station House is more of a, a traditional pub in the sense of it's very much aimed at drinking in, no music, Cascale specialist and uh, very much kind of looks and feels like a pub. Although when we set that up, we very much were basing it on the micropubs model. Uh, We happen to have a slightly bigger unit than most micropubs, but it was taking over that old shop unit and turning it into a pub kind of model and focusing on good products and good community. And that ethos is then transferred up to Fram as well. So although we do things slightly differently. I'm originally from Plymouth and then I moved away to Leeds, uh, in about 2010, where I met my wife Katie, who's also from down in the southwest anyway, so it worked out quite well. Whenever we came back down to Plymouth to see family, there wasn't really much going on in terms of the beer scene. Um, it's heavily dominated by regional pubs. Uh, so, say, also obviously got the majority of pubs here, and then the rest is pub goes. So, there wasn't much independence or opportunity for small, interesting producers of good beer to make a presence in Plymouth it felt right to do something and one of our aims as well as like getting away from the, the nine to five was was to really push good beer into Plymouth and get people really excited about small independent breweries yeah um, and once you start one others start seeing that there's a market for it as well yeah. we, we were the same like we'd lived in well, I'd lived in Bradford so I, I'd been drinking around Bradford and Leeds and lived in yeah. York and Chris was from up in Newcastle so yeah we were also like you used to these kind of quite thriving craft beer cultures and uh moved to Durham and it wasn't quite the same there's some great pubs don't get me wrong but nothing doing quite what we wanted to do so like you we were just like okay we'll set one up then so let's go right back to March tell me how business was doing yeah I mean 2020 was going to be an interesting year for us anyway because it's 400 years since the Mayflower set sail from Plymouth to the US of course yeah so there was a massive amount of tourism and investment about to happen in Plymouth for that and we were doing a lot of events uh, associated to that over the year. Um, and we run a festival, in November, a big festival in November in Plymouth, uh, where we get loads of breweries down. And we were going to bring some over from the US for that. So 2020 was going to be a big year for us. We sort of were ahead of the curve in terms of COVID and the fact that we could see stuff coming. And we wanted to be proactive rather than reactive. So we stopped being a bar. We're, we're tiny, realistically sat down we can fit about 20 people in in the normal world we'd have probably 40 and stood up having drinks at a really busy time and it just felt unsafe it just didn't feel right so we switched to being a shop before it was enforced on us um so we had our beer festival at the pub two weeks before lockdown as it turned out and I remember walking down from a shift at the shop and I'd been reading the news and I could see that it was looking increasingly likely that there might be some kind of enforced closures. Um, No one else seemed to really be kind of paying quite the same attention. But I was walking down and planning these emails in my head uh, to our landlords and thinking who else I could contact to just reduce our, our overheads. And I got to the beer festival, got to the pub and sat down and wrote these emails before or I could properly sit and relax and enjoy a couple of pints with people. Yeah. And I think people were thinking I was a little bit mad. I, th- I think the businesses that have had a bit of a plan in, in place seem to have been 
visibly more prepared, maybe not underneath him, a bit, bit like a swan, I reckon, <laughs> to be honest. I think, you know, certain businesses looked a bit more calm and collected, but probably were absolutely panicking in the background. Yeah, I think um, everyone's been panicking in the background. In, in terms of where it took us when we did do lockdown is because we were a shop anyway we just switched to deliveries we also switched to deliveries and i'd spoken to our local licensing office to check that they would be happy with that and and it was fine for about three or four weeks and we were doing decent trade off it um and then the police called me and told me i had to stop because our license right. doesn't cover oh, deliveries right. and so then i had to go through this whole rigmarole of um, getting the, the minor variation to allow us to do yeah. it and we've got it now if we end up in that situation again but yeah, we, we had uh, real problems with licensing. That's a scary thought. I better have a look at my license. <laughs> um, I think it happened to every business in the beer industry that could do takeaway or online sales. There was a massive boom at the start of lockdown. And unfortunately, we reacted to buy a load more beer in because it felt like we were going to run out. And then it quickly stopped. <laughs> I think people had their holiday for like four or five weeks and enjoyed a load of yeah. beer. And then it stopped quite abruptly. And then we had a load of stock. Yeah, we had, we had the same, same pattern, actually. Yeah. yeah. Did you do any um, Zoom events? Because obviously you've had got loads of live events planned for the year. Um, did you move yeah. any of that over to Zoom? Yeah, we've been quite active on the Zoom early on. So we always do uh, events in the shop. It was always part of our sort of ethos from day one was to sort of educate and get people excited about beer. And the best way to do that is to do sort of varied, interesting events, be it meet the brewers or tasting events. So one of the tasting events we do quite a lot in the shop is a blind tasting where we get five or six beers, we pour them, people drink it, and then we talk about it, and then we tell them what it was. In that sounds brilliant. Yeah, I might nick that idea. Yeah, do, do, help yourself. (laughs) (laughs) So we switched that to do it online, and that was quite interesting. So basically my wife Katie just wrapped up five beers, and we, we delivered them. And then we trusted people not to open up the wrapping <laughs> and pour the beer, drink the beer, talk, we'll talk about it on Zoom and then do the unveiling and everyone would unveil the beer. Um, so that was pretty cool. Brilliant. Have you found the engagement with that's been really good? Or is it uh, just a kind of certain subsection of your regulars? Because yeah, I, I know some of our, some of our regulars, we, the one thing we were doing regularly was a Sunday club, basically. Yeah. But the, some of that group just hated Zoom so much. And a lot of them were using it day to day for work. And the last thing they wanted to do was then socialise using it as well. There's definitely some Zoom fatigue. Uh, you know, early on, the, the events were selling out really quickly. And now they're not. So I try and limit them as much as possible. Now, if I am doing a Zoom event, it's maybe one, one a month, if that. But you're right. I think we've definitely noticed massive support from our hardcore regulars and then the rest of it's pretty much dropped off Mm. we're probably doing the same sort of business as we were in 2017 so our first full year of operating we're back at that it's like it's been the clock's been reset on our business for three years and it'd be interesting coming out the other end if we we generate that interest again yeah i suppose i'm more positive in that regard in that a lot of the trade we've lost, I'm pretty certain, will come back or will be replaced mm. by other trade because I think people are so desperate for that human connection to be back yeah. in the pub that when restrictions do start getting lifted, I think people are going to come flocking back. I think we've all now got our backup plans in place. You know, yeah. we've, if we were looking two weeks ago um, at the possibility of being in tier three, in fact, I was genuinely was convinced on the Monday that we were going to be in tier three on the Tuesday. Um, in Durham and, and and hence I ordered masses of small pack and not enough <laughs> cask that week 
but it's okay. We're fine. Yeah. <laughs> It'll sell. <laughs> if we do end up being closed, then fine, we can deal with that. We've got, like I say, we've got the licenses in place. We've got the web shop up and running. It's literally just a case of switching it all back to doing deliveries or doing click and collect. And, and that's fine. It's, it will be quick to do this time. Which I guess is the small independent bars, the micropubs, why we're probably coping better is that we have got that flexibility and we've been able to adapt very quickly, partly because of small teams, which obviously then means that we end up working very long hours to just to get everything done. But that flexibility to be able to jump between business models, I think, has been one of the benefits of being a micropub, being an independent bar. It's an interesting thing, talking about all these changes and so on, that every time something changes up here, it feels like it's chipping away a little bit. I don't know if you feel like this. And one of the things that I really wanted to cover in this chat is about mental health. So we've kind of touched on the importance of the customers and that community connection. But also, I think there's a real issue potentially coming up with us, our staff, who have had to constantly adapt. And just as you you feel like you're getting back into the swing of things, and then there's another regulation to enforce and another change that means that the customers are getting fed up, less likely to want to comply. And it's starting to feel a little bit like your resilience is getting closer to the edge And I'm just a little bit worried that we're going to come out of this and we're going to have lost a ton of good staff from the industry, people that would otherwise have been fine, but perhaps have just come to the end of their tether, um, as well as just the physical jobs have lost. Have you started noticing any of that? Amongst you and your yeah, staff. Do you have so any staff? I forgot so to, we, forgot to yeah, ask, actually. Yeah. We have one member of staff, Phoebe, who used to work on a Sunday, but we've not been open on a Sunday since the beginning of this. It's only a, a Sunday job, so it's not massive money, so we've just been paying her and not bothering with the government furlough or any of that. But she's just started coming back to work on Saturdays for us now. And I think, yeah, it did feel like she was desperate to get back in and have that presence in the shop to be involved in it rather than just sat at home. Yeah. I think at the pub we've been lucky in that we are still able to kind of have that post-shift pint once everyone's out and before yeah. 10 o'clock hits. Um, often I've made it down from the shop and Chris and I will sit at one of the tables and the staff yeah. member will sit across the room. So that, that does help massively. But it's different and I'm really missing just being able to go to the pub. Yeah. Um, Survival is probably the key element to it. I think all... all businesses in this industry at the moment it's just just trying to find a way to get through this and get Mm -hmm. out the other end i think what businesses like ours do is we try and support small independents and we've we've definitely throughout been trying to keep that whole chain going so we've continued to support our small independent distributors that we use as well as going direct to breweries we want that whole whole chain to survive so yeah whilst the customer might not see it we're doing things to try and keep everything alive not just ourselves yeah. At the moment, I don't feel like it's a case of looking at it in terms of winning or losing or yeah. uh, victims and survivors. Every loss to the industry, every member of staff, every pub that closes, it's going to mean that we all lose in the end. Yeah. But the industry has always been through flux. It's always changing, despite what people think. So yeah. we will change again. We will adapt again. And micropubs and small independents are really realistically in a, a good position to do so yeah we can react quicker can't we you know? yeah um, that's the one advantage that we have being so small 
It's great how micropubs have been able to become these go-to destinations for amazing beers. I can't believe the Vessel offers 300 different beers in such a small space. Oh, right. I mean, it's, it's such a shame that the Mayflower celebrations have been put on hold. It sounds like it was going to be a real great year for the Vessel in that respect. Well, i tell you what, something that's really standing out from that is just how well both micropubs seem to have weathered the COVID storm. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're talking about Victimore Survivor, they're, they're thriving um, in the situation. And I suppose it's a similar story for a lot of microbreweries, that being small has given them the flexibility, the agility to run as off-licenses and bottle shops with less overhead costs. So actually they're in a much better position to be able to adapt when lockdown hits. And the boom that they both experienced at the beginning of lockdown is really interesting. It's a shame that it's worn off a bit since then because it's hard enough predicting changes in lockdown procedure as it is. I mean, it's, it's so easy to run the risk of being overstocked in one style, not have enough in the other because you called it wrong. I suppose at least bottles tend to keep longer, but of course you can't beat cast-conditioned ale. You, you know, you can't, can you? And I really do look forward to seeing how they do once we're out of this second lockdown, although obviously that will depend on the next few months. And and I say go out there and support them if you can. There are a few microbrews and micropubs in, in my area in North Beds and we go out and, and have a wander up to them and, and try and support them as and when we can. Now, our very own Sue Nowak has been to the Vessel Malco pub. Of course she has, you know, where hasn't Sue been? And uh, has sent us some of the great photos and an article that she wrote for Beer Magazine last year about food in micropubs, which we thought we'd reshare with our listeners via What's Brewing. Indeed, and we've also, of course, got a recipe from Sue this week, inspired by Vessel and the other microbreweries who, well, they can, maybe can't do substantial food. You know, it's, it's a micro doll-sized kitchen, <laughs> after all. But they have mastered pub snacks perfectly. I think that's a, that's a very common theme in micro pubs around the country. And this week, she's actually got some cheese and ale straws and biscuits. Yeah. They sound amazing. Oh yeah, <laughs> they certainly do. And just before we get on to that, though, I must just tell you that on Sue's recipe tips from the last podcast i did actually try one of them i made a jelly with beer i used black sheep's chock and orange stout which seemed a a good one for a pudding but i mean today's snack sounds amazing as well and she also used a stout it was st Austell's hicks stout to go into this so if you've been inspired by the great british bake-off in the last few weeks you'll be getting your hands dirty if you make this one you can make your own dough and then it only needs 15 minutes to bake it so it sounds absolutely perfect to go with some weekend drinks oh i love it see I, was it delicious, uh, Claire, the, the chocolate orange stout in the jelly? It was, and I, I think I'll definitely be making it again. Wonderful. Well, I do think we need to start the Great British Beery Bake Off, don't you? I mean, who's with me? I, I've really enjoyed watching that. It's been my slice, pardon the pun, of normality in all of this, oh, that, no. that programme. That, that's, that is a pun. I love that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, do make sure that you check out the article and the recipe on Twitter after you've finished listening to the podcast as usual. You'll find us tweeting and you'll find our mate Shawnee O'Mahoney, who's at the helm of our Twitter handle, at Pubs Pints People there as well. If you've got any questions for us, just give us a shout. Absolutely, get involved. Now, next up in this jam-packed podcast, we've got two short clips, actually. And the first is a chat with Martin Hillier, who, as we said earlier, is kind of credited with starting the whole micropub movement. So it's fantastic that we get to hear from him uh, on the podcast. Uh, And he's the founder of the Micropub Association. So let's hear from Martin about how it all got started. When we decided to make a podcast about micropubs and their future, I thought it was a good idea to speak to Martin Hillier, who opened the first micropub in 2005 and set up the Micropub Association. We met Martin at the Butcher's Arms in Hearn Village with one of his regulars, Geoffrey. The room is tiny, 
just 12 feet by 14 feet. It's incredibly colourful and busy, with bar towels, posters, fresh hops and memorabilia hanging from every surface, as well as the ceiling. I started off by asking Martin to share how he came to open the Butcher's Arms. Back in the 80s, I used to have to drink lager. And then Flounder and Firkin opened in Holloway Road. And I knew that they brewed the beer on the premises, didn't drink beer, don't know what to do here. Could go for the Heineken lager. I better not do that. Three pumps. I'll have the middle one. Whale ale. 4.7. One sip of that. Jeez, this, all the taste, mm. not too cold. And no gas. Game on. Converted. Then I lived in Putney, not too far from Fuller's Brewery. But it depended on which Fuller's pub you went into, on how good the London Pride was, or, or the or the Chiswick, or the ESP. I'm thinking, this is crazy. It's only over there. Three miles away, it would taste different. So I thought, there's something more to this selling beer than just getting a barrel in, plugging it in and go. And I thought, well, I'm going to get into the beer trade. And uh, this off-license came up for sale in Canterbury, a Canterbury beer shop. Bought it, went it for seven years, got it in the Good Beer Guide, selling lots of beer. And then uh, a big multinational came along. They wanted to have their own off-license in Canterbury and opened one up just down the road and called it the Firkin Off-License. They opened within 18 months. My lease came to the end, so I got out of that. But 18 months after that, they shut it. In the meantime, I then moved here and my regular beer drinkers were missing their takeaway beers because it was all takeaway there. So the shop across the road was closing. I moved, just moved their license from there to here. Eventually, when the licensing law changed, the licensing officer came in and said, we can turn this into a pub. I thought, pub, smokers and lager drinkers. Mm. I thought, that's right. I'll have no smoking and no lager. Mm. And everybody went, you can't open a pub with no smoking and no lager. It's 90% of your customers out the door. Well, I don't want that 90%. I don't want the 10%. Because only 10% the size of a normal pub. Well, I did it. It does work. So in 2008, it became Kent Pub of the Year. Then the following year, I was asked by HQ to do this presentation at Eastbourne. So that's when I formed the Microbuff Association. It's just going back full circle to how pubs used to be. Mm. There should be so many more than... than is there a thousand? Probably going up to a thousand? I've heard six, seven hundred. I don't know how you'd find that. Last year, yeah, I get it. So, so then they came along, uh, the guy, Brian who did the Micropub magazine. I think he's got about 750 he's mm. found. But it's strange because the second one to open was after I did the presentation. It was in Hartlepool. Mm. Couldn't get much further from mm. Hartlepool, right up there. And then Newark was third. And then after that, the fourth one was in Ramsgate. And still people went over because they all expected it to fail. And they kept thinking, well, it's not failing. And when that one opened in Thanet, somebody said in there, well, that's Thanet covered. I mean, what do you mean that's Thanet? It should be 50 in Thanet. Oh, it's getting on that way now. I don't know, it's 20, 20 of now, 25? And none of them have closed through being too many of them. And I just love coal in Lancashire. There's three next door to each other. And now it's become the area to go for real ale before it was a desert. I wonder what will happen to micropubs over the next few months anyway while things are happening. The government have been very generous and gave us all 10 grand. 
So, like, game on. What's wrong with that? That's a winner, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, even if you just batten down the hatches, then you're going to come out the other side. Um, a few have closed because the lease came to the end, and because it's mainly older, older people opening them. But a lot of them change hands all the time. I, I think it might be one or two percent that have failed, but that's it. So I think you know, if most businesses fail, fifty percent of businesses fail within two years. Yeah. Minecraft don't, yeah. and of course landlords love them mm. because now they've got something in their premises—not a nail bar or a charity shop. They've got a pub. Yeah. I'm surprised a lot more. Villages haven't got uh, out in the sticks. There's only one I know of in, in Kent. Per square foot, it's more expensive than down the town, but the shop is probably ten times the size because I only need a small space. If it was any bigger than this, then Geoffrey wouldn't be able to talk to the person in the corner. Fantastic. Hearing from the founder, the originator. Yeah. That is wonderful. Yeah. I mean, it just goes to show how much flexibility micropubs have to really make what they're doing their own. You know, if you want it to be non-smoking and non-lager like Martin did, then fine. Brilliant. And I think what's great now is how much the movement has kicked off, kind of providing their own little slice of individuality. Mm. That's right. It's great to hear that so many of these micropubs have become the place to go to find good real ale and should kick some of the other pub codes into gear to ensure that they're offering the same standard as well. I couldn't agree more, Claire. And I think another great note, which they touched on at the end there, is the mental health benefits, which really links nicely to our podcast from a few weeks ago. Martin talks about how it's the small premises which really encourages conversation. It's that intimate atmosphere. It almost feels safe and comforting, I imagine. And it's almost an expected part of that experience to go in as strangers and leave, uh, you know, as friends and as drinking uh, drinking buddies for the future. Love that. That sounds like a quote that could be above the door and uh, to end a podcast in the future, isn't it? Yeah. Going as strangers, leave as friends, right up my street. Mm-hmm. Now, before we go into our final clip, guess what? We've got to share some exciting camera news. Da, 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 da. Excellent. <laughs> there we are. So dedicated listeners will remember back to our beer writer episode where we interviewed the legendary Pete Brown. And I'm, I'm a massive fan. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he's just written a new book for camera called Beer by Design, which looks at the evolution of design and artwork and its influence on the rise of the craft beer movement and making beer what I think we can all agree it is, which is the most exciting aisle on the supermarket shelves. Indeed. Yeah, it'd be the one I'd go to first if uh, if it wasn't so far down the end of the shop. <laughs> but <laughs> Pete's new book's available from Camera Books for just fifteen ninety nine. It would make a great Christmas present for the beer lover in your life. It's very visual. It's a great read. And you can find out more by visiting camera.org.uk slash beerbydesign. Sounds great. And I do love a good pump clip and artwork design. I, I can sit and just look at them all day. I think some of them are wonderful and how they've evolved. Uh, we, we've spoken about it before, haven't we, Matt, at length, about how those, those pump clips just change with the times. So a perfect stocking filler, I would think. Uh, now, listen, we're going to hear a short clip now from Rebecca Weaver, who has embarked on a 12-month pub tour in her camper van with the ambition of visiting 150 pubs across the UK which she's videoing on her YouTube channel A Motorhome Life of Hank and Marvin lovely now the tour is obviously on hold due to COVID restrictions but she's still doing the beer tastings in the meantime and wants to share a little bit more about why she's embarked on this journey A Motorhome Life of Hank and Marvin came about from the loss of my partner Colin Chapman I knew that I had to do something I had to make a new dream, a new dream for myself, a new goal. What better way to do it than travelling around, filming myself, drinking and eating 
in the places that I love the most and that's pubs. So I devised a plan of visiting 150 pubs in 12 months around England, Scotland and Wales and I even went for a Guinness World Record and it's been fantastic to meet all these wonderful people, these wonderful pub landlords and seeing what they've been doing to be able to cope and survive from the aftermath of our first lockdown and also what they're going to be doing after the second lockdown. I've created these wonderful videos of trying some of the local beverages, eating the food, the venue itself and of course the local area. The goal of these videos was to promote not just the pub but the area itself to give people an idea that you know it's not just a visit to the pub but you can stay overnight and help the local business and the local tourism all in one go and that's where a motorhome life of Hank and Marvin really come in and that's what we've been doing. Under lockdown I've been doing live feeds of beer tasting. I've had a wonderful start to my journey and I can't wait to pick it up as soon as lockdown has finished. If you would like to see more of my videos go to a motorhome life of Hank and Marvin and come and share our adventures. It's so sad to hear, isn't it, that she started this journey following the loss of her partner. Uh, you know, what a dream for the healing process to have inspired. It's an amazing idea. Obviously, it's changed a little bit uh, with COVID, but um, it, it's one I'd love to join. Obviously, I'd have to be in a separate camper van you know, <laughs> yeah. at a two-metre diff- distance, unless we're, I could become part of their bubble. But that would be for them to decide. Yeah, brilliant idea. But uh, now it's time to dive into the archive. It's easy to forget that micropubs are a relatively new phenomenon, although the pub that for many years claimed to be Britain's smallest pub, although not a a micropub as such, the Nutshell in Bury St Edmunds, that's been around since 1867. But the first micropub was opened by Martin only in 2005. Yeah, now going back into the archive, it looks like there was a little bit of controversy here. After Martin came to the camera AGM in 2009, he was there talking about the micropub concept because the following month then, a letter was printed in What's Brewing that described micropubs as a frivolous concept and totally rubbishing the idea. Dear me, you get the impression of him kind of like going into a saloon in a western. (laughs) He kind of opens up the swing doors and everybody stops, the music stops and looks around and goes, the micropubs are in town. Dear (laughs) me. I tell you what, well, he tells us a little bit more about it in an intro to the Micropub Guide, which is published in 2018, where he expresses uh, his frustration that there wasn't greater support and promotion for the movement from camera at the time. Quite right, by the sounds of (laughs) of that reception, yeah. Very scandalous indeed. Well, you know, we hope, Martin, um, we've been able to make some amends in this episode for you, and we do thank him, and I genuinely thank him on a personal level, for all of the valuable contribution towards enriching the range of pubs out there in 2020. I mean, micro-pubs, they just offer something totally different for me, and I just can't imagine a place without them, to be quite honest. No, they're fantastic. And while I don't believe that it lists every single one, the Micropub Association says that today there are 359 micropubs. And I really love that so many of them are at railway stations, including the one at Carnforth, at Brief Encounter Fans. It was on the telly just the other night. It's <laughs> wonderful. And I know there are other station buffet pubs too, which if they aren't already listed, they probably could be. And if you want to find out where your nearest micropub is, then visit www.micropubassociation.co.uk. 
Absolutely. I used to go through Carnforth Station every day when I was going to school. You know, if, if you didn't buy a beard then, though, enough, did you? That, yeah, you just sneak it in. <laughs> just putting on, you know, a fake moustache and an overcoat. We would go on each other's shoulders and go to the bar. Evening, sir. One adult beer, please. Uh, anyway, one adult from, beer. <laughs> one adult beer, please. <laughs> that's, that's how we got found out every time. I was like, no, oh, just as natural. Well, I tell you, before I get uh, done for, uh, <laughs> for under age drinking in the past i think <laughs> we should move on to last orders so what have you two been drinking in your adult drinks this week well i've been to well i haven't been to but i've been drinking from the uk's most easterly brewery which oh. is green jack in lowstoft um are one of the local pubs to us the wheat chief has been doing some takeouts during lockdown because obviously they can't open they probably still won't open as uh, we're in tier two but they had some wonderful lurcher stout it's a 4.8 percent uh, rich and, and smooth. It's got a kind of fruity bitterness. They, they do say in the tasting notes a sort of black currant aroma. I can't say. Maybe I just didn't um, take too much of the aroma and just drank it down. But it's, it's an award-winning beer and I love it. Well, for me this week, you'll both know because I sent over the pictures the other day. But my friend and I, Tony, my mate Tony, you know, he needs his own jingle. I should, I should have had <laughs> Uh, Tony and I, we, we decided this week that enough was enough when we couldn't bear the thought of not being able to share a beer any longer, even though you know we were, we were waiting with bated breath on the news that was going to come to us. So we decided to have a virtual beer tasting event, just the two of us over Zoom, and we went out and got ourselves the same beers. I even made a little tasting sheet for us to print off at home and, uh, and fill out, and we scored them and we charted, and it was just a real nice way of making something out of a little, uh, would have otherwise just been a little catch-up with each other. So it was a nice couple of hours together and my beer of the week is the one that we rated as our favourite on the night and that one comes from Ridley's Brewery and it was an English ale, it's Old Bob, it's quite a strong one at 5.1% oh, yeah. but I tell you what, it was really bright it was nice and citrusy and you see, I, I, like you Matt, I love malt and um, and it's got a real nice biscuit finish to it and it just was, yeah it was wonderful, really really nice beer and one that I'll definitely be putting in my stocking this Christmas. And ni- nice to know that um, that old Bob is is still around because not all the Ridley's brands survived, I think. But no. I'm, I'm, that's one of my favourites too. What about you, Matt? Well, first, I want to give a big shout out to the volunteer team who run the Camera Cider and Perry account over on Twitter because they actually got in touch after my last order story last week. You know, my sad story about spilling my cider, yeah. and they actually gave me some not only some moral support but some wonderful recommendations for ciders and perries to try. Oh. So I just, I know. So I just want to say thanks so much to Dick and the other volunteers. I've, I feel like I've found my camera family, you know, <laughs> and, and, and they are fantastic. And I think it just shows what camera is about. They're all about fellow enthusiasts sharing, you know, ciders, perries and, and beers on the main account as well, just sharing the things that they love, giving their advice. And that's what I love about camera, you know, that community. And I'm really glad that, you know, I'm following them all now, you know, we're, we're in the DMs, you know, as, uh, as we say. And my last orders drink is from a mix case from Scrattings, which was a company they recommended. Uh, and it's made by Ridge and Furrow. And it's a cider called Naturally Sweet. And it does exactly what it says on the bottle. It's sweet, natural, absolutely perfect. Great recommendation. 
Thank you so much. Lovely jubbly. Well, it all sounds like we've had delicious drinks this week. And uh, don't forget to join us for the final episode this side of Christmas. And it's also the final episode of the season. It's Christmas brews next, folks. Of course it is. It's not long to go to the big ho-ho-ho and Johnny Garrett and Brock Gospel Green who will talk to us about their champagne style of cider rather, on the 15th of December. Until then, Mr Bundy, have you got a quote for us? Well, I have. I think actually I've got a quote from Claire. Uh, this week uh, and uh, she's given me two choices and and I, I think one of them is a, a debuffical phase that I think I would put on the top of my micro pub if I was opening one and that is that the best things come in small packages oh yeah you know, I think that mm. that'd be I love that one uh, but I, I love a quote from a random person you would never think would do anything to do with beer or cider Mother Teresa I don't think she did actually mean beer or cider when she said this. <laughs> <laughs> Although, do you know what, Claire? Let Matt have it. You know, Mother Teresa was clearly drinking uh, <laughs> a, a, an IPA when she made uh, this. D- <laughs> I'm, I'm setting the scene. She's opening up a little a little stubby can, <laughs> you know, in a tiny micro pub. You know, she was a small lady. And, and, she's, uh, and she just says, she turns to her drinking companion and she says, the Lord likes small things best, especially those done with love. So here's to you, Mother Teresa. <laughs> Cheers! Cheers! Cheers. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. How does a free case of beer sound? Yes, you can grab a case for free courtesy of our pals at Beer52 by going to www.beer.com beer52.com forward slash people that's the numbers 52 in the 52 and covering the meagre postage cost of £5.95 and what's more as a special offer for our listeners they'll throw in two extra beers for free so that's 10 unique craft beers Beer 52 is actually the biggest beer club in the world each month they send their members a case of beer from a different part of the world and this month it's an absolute belter 
Their great European road trip case takes in the best beers from across the continent. So try a crisp, refreshing Pilsner from Norway's Lervig Brewery and a monster 7.5 double IPA from Sweden's Durges Brewery. On the dark side this month, there's a smooth stout from Copenhagen's Tool. There's also beer from Croatia, Poland, Germany, Serbia and Austria, among others. And if dark beer's not your thing, you can choose the light-only case. Also included is the ever-insightful Ferment magazine and a couple of tasty snacks. And even if, after all that, you're still unsatisfied, you can simply pause or cancel at any time. So head over to www.beer52, that's the numbers 5and2.com forward slash people to claim your free case of 10 beers now.